Welcome to Today on Broadway for Tuesday, March 6th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. Now, James, I got to tell you, I thought that the craziest thing that I would see over a 24-hour period would be the fact that Get Out didn't win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. However... In the subsequent hours, I have seen things far crazier that have unbelievably blown my mind. First, a ridiculous rumor coming from first the uh, the Sun over in London. Then it was picked up by the Daily Mail that apparently they're reporting that Ariana Grande is going to be taking over as Elphaba on Broadway. <laughs> I am, I am, I'm going, and it's from the Daily Mail. Of course, they were just citing the Sun. But I am saying it now, I'm saying it loud, and I'm saying it clear. Not going to happen. Now, maybe in 20 years, there is no reason to expect that Wicked would bring her in to do this show now. They don't need to stunt cast. The only logical explanation that you could probably work up is if they want to get her ready to do the movie. Also not going to happen. So uh, whatever you've heard, take it with so much salt that I can almost guarantee I would. I will. I, here's what I'll do, James. If Ariana Grande is the next Alphaba on Broadway, I will sing the entire score of Wicked and put it out as a podcast episode. That's how confident <laughs> I am that that's not going to happen. But then that sounds like a threat. Oh, it is a threat. <laughs> David Stone, Mark Platt. <laughs> you don't want that out in the world. Of course, you'll probably sue me for doing that, but mm. you don't want that. Don't inflict that on people. But also, that's not the craziest thing, James. Have you been watching the news? I, who it's is, insane what's going on. Who, who is this guy? I'll tell you, it's entertaining. It's, it's entertaining as hell. <laughs> What up? I mean, it's I mean, you almost feel bad watching somebody completely lose their mind and ruin their lives on national television across multiple TV shows on multiple networks. But I'm not uh, you know, as people know, I don't like the awkward stuff, but this is like the the proverbial train wreck that I can't turn away from. <sighs> well, why don't we start off by recapping the 90th? annual Academy Awards. Okay, there's a lot there, too. But if you listened to Some Like It Pops uh, preview Wish, Want, and Will episode, you know that Jen and I pretty much told you that we weren't in love with a lot of these films, and a lot of the the winners, especially in the major categories, were incredibly pre predictable. We were right. Most of them were incredibly predictable. I'll run through the, the big ones as well as the ones that have some sort of theater connection. First off, in the Best Picture category, The Shape of Water won. Best Lead Actor was Gary Oldman for The Darkest Hour. Best Lead Actress was Tony Winner and now two-time Academy Award winner Frances McDormand for Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Her co-star and fellow Broadway alum Sam Rockwell also won in the Best Supporting Actor category. And then stage, screen, large and small, uh, star and all around wonderful person, Allison Janney, went in the Best Supporting Actress category for I, Tanya. Pixar's Coco won Best Animated Feature, which was not technically a musical, but had some music, which we'll get back to here in a little bit. My favorite win of the night, nothing theater related, but Jordan Peele won an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay for Get Out. And then in the, that aforementioned uh, music category, in the Best Original Song category, 
Remember Me from Coco by Kristen Anderson Lopez and Bobby Lopez beat out Bench Pask and Justin Paul's This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. And um, so many great theater stuff related there. Lin-Manuel Miranda and Emily Blunt handed the trophy over to them. So that was very cool. Also, I, I saw this on Twitter and I could be misconstruing this but i believe it was bench pasik i think or maybe the pasik and paul twitter handle but they said that they used to babysit the uh, lopez kids which i think is pretty cool um it shows you just how insular the broadway community is like tommy kale before he started directing in the heights was otter mcdonald's assistant but with that academy award win robert lopez has done is literally something no one else has ever done. He has become the first double EGOT winner in the history of the EGOT. Um, he now has two Academy Awards, which uh, all right, let's go with Emmys first. He has two daytime Emmy Awards writing for the Wonder Pets. That's the E. Then when it comes to Grammys, he has a Grammy for the Book of Mormon, for Frozen, and then specifically for Let It Go. That's the G in the O. He now has two best original songs for Let It Go and Remember Me. And the T, of course, is for the Tonys. He has three there as well. One for the score for Avenue Q, one for the book of the Book of Mormon, and one for the score of the Book of Mormon. So he has actually he's well on his way to a third one, considering he has, uh, you know, the the three Tonys in there as well. So uh, and three Grammys. So he just needs another Oscar and another Emmy to uh, to get in there for his triple EGOT. Lin-Manuel Miranda, and I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he was trying to come up with other um, anagrams for all of the E's, G's, O's, and T's that Bobby actually has. And it was very, very funny. Uh, so take a look at that. that I, I should have saved that. But that one was really cool. James, I know you didn't watch any of it at all. Um, I will recommend to people, if you did not see the bits uh, that the hilarious Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph did together, for me, from a comedy standpoint, that was not only the highlight, it was one of the few highlights, but it was by far the funniest thing um, out there. From a musical theater standpoint, you had Keala Settle and a host of of background singers, including I saw someone point out that um, Natalie Weiss, Broadway, his own Natalie Weiss, breaking down the riffs in the back there. Um, so she was in there. We'll have the video to that one if you want. It was you could tell Keala was a little nervous. Um, and I think that song always kind of just borders on being uh, a little pitchy just because where it sits. But she brought the house down standing ovation. It was the only one of those uh, best original song performances that got a standing ovation via <laughs> Tony winner, uh, Emmy winner, Oscar winner, uh, Grammy winner. I think she's got a Grammy. I think she, well, maybe not a Grammy, but Viola Davis was rocking out in the audience. It was so cool. So we'll have that video if you want to check that out in the show notes. And then James in a commercial, not only did they debut the trailer for the Roseanne revival, but they also released the first teaser trailer for Mary Poppins Returns. And of course, it includes Lin-Manuel Miranda and Emily Blunt, who they presented together. Um, and it had followed the journey of a kite, uh, kind of a beat up and battered kite through London. We pick up uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda's character and we finally see Emily Blunt looking into a mirror as she sees the now grown up Banks children. So lots going on on Sunday night on the Academy Awards on ABC. Some really great speeches uh, as well. 
Um, uh, Francis McDormand gave a really, really nice one. Lupita Nyong'o and Kumail Nanjiani gave a very impassioned speech as they are both immigrants in favor of the of dreamers. So it was a really uh, nice night overall. There was some ups and downs, as there always are with a 19-hour broadcast. But for the most part, it went according to plan, I guess you could say. What was the uh, quote from the old quote from Johnny Carson? The the Oscars are. You are correct, sir. Oh no, that was that was Ed McMahon. Sorry. <laughs> it is uh, two hours worth of entertainment fit into a four hour show. Yeah, well, it's kind of this was the the 90th annual Jimmy Kimmel made a, a point that the first Oscars was 15 minutes long, and uh, definitely not not last night. But you know, like I said on something like a pop, like. People say they're excited to watch the Oscars, and then when they complain, when they have more Oscars to watch, like I get it, it's long. I've told James before we started, I'm a little, I'm dragging a little bit because I was up late on Sunday. But whatever, it comes once a year. I mean, get over it. (laughs) So um, the inclusion writer. Yes, that and that's what I mentioned about Frances McDormand. Um, she gave a very nice speech, thanked all she needed to thanked everybody she needed to thank, thanked her husband and her son. And then she put she put her Oscar down, patted Oscar on the head, and asked all of the other female nominees on the evening, no matter what their category was, to stand up and to share this moment with her. And then she ended by saying, I'm gonna end my speech with two words, inclusion writer. Saw some great memes on uh, on the good old Twitter machine uh, involving uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Grease 2. That's not what she's talking about. That's cool writer. Um, but what in, what an inclusion writer is basically, and I'm not a, a lawyer or agent or anything like that, but it's basically big A-list stars, powerful people who can negotiate their own contracts, put something into their contracts that require that the production of whatever it is, a film, TV show, stage show as well as I, I guess, um, has some sort of percentage of diversity in the behind the scenes and perhaps even on screen uh, hiring, whether that's minorities, people of color, women, however you want to include that. But that's something that has been getting passed around a lot on uh, social media and on think pieces on Monday and rightly so. And hopefully that can be a good step forward. And Francis McDormand gave one of the best speeches of the night as she's often wont to do. Yeah. I was uh, thinking as soon as I heard about this and read more about it, that I could really see this happening on Broadway. You know, if, yeah, if Kristen and Audra and Kelly were to say, this is the way it happens when I'm in a show, that's the way it happens when they're in a show. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting, and I don't know how this will work on Broadway, but somebody who is bringing a show to Broadway in just a few months, Ryan Murphy, and I, if you've listened to me or read what I've written over the years, you know that I have my issues with Ryan Murphy shows. But in his defense, one thing that he has done that I think has actually elevated the quality of the programs that he's worked on over the years is a few years ago, he's somebody who considers himself a progressive and somebody who is, is hoping to create change. He looked around at his production staffs and realized that they were still predominantly white men. So what he has done is said that I think starting two or three years ago, he has, and I don't know the name of it, um, but he has a program that 50% of everybody who directs a show on one of his series or works behind the scenes 
scenes on one of his series will be women. And uh, that's been heralded as, as a big step forward. He did that, especially while working on um, um, the American Horror Story shows on FX, so much so that FX has maybe not adopted it exactly because they have showrunners who um, kind of direct every episode. So that would cause some problems. But they have adopted it as a philosophy for that entire network, which really does some of the best television anywhere. I mean, HBO, Showtime, FX, um, it really does AMC. That It's one of the networks that puts out the best, most interesting content. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the people that they've brought in. And, and that can be traced back to how Ryan Murphy runs his operation. So I don't know how that will work with the boys in the band and how that'll work because, you know, he has complete autonomy over his TV shows and his movies. It's a little different with Broadway because of all the investors, but um, I would imagine that he'll try to find some way to integrate that into how that production will work. And also, did you hear that Francis McDormand's Oscar was stolen just for a brief moment? I, I did. In fact, the, uh, I saw something that came up a little, a little while ago before we started recording that the Los Angeles police have apprehended the person yes. who stole it. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, it was this guy who is a uh, um, a Broadway composer who didn't think that he had enough to do at the Oscars last night and he was going to write a rap about it and write a new musical about stealing an Oscar. So, you know. <laughs> Tommy Kale was by his side, but you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I wrote a note to myself here. Stanley Cup question mark. You know the how yeah. often they how often Stanley well, they Cup teams lose their cup on the celebration. Well, well they never Well, they never lose the cup because there's actually somebody who is it's their full-time job to Assigned. never leave the cup, but they pass it around. They everybody on the team gets a day with the cup and this person who always only handles it with white gloves travels with the cup they are the keeper of the cup maybe every oscar needs one of those people mm. i also wrote a note to myself chris hayes interview with carter page but i don't think that has anything to do with this all right no. huh no he he was talking <laughs> about that uh crazy nunberg guy or whatever his name is on the show so uh at the top <laughs> of the show all right uh so let's shift gears from the left coast to the right coast and uh, let's talk about last week's Broadway grosses. Well, if you guys remember, get, get in your way back machine and go back seven days. Last week, I said that I didn't think that the grosses could get any lower than the 27 million that we discussed then. I thought it would only be uphill from there. I said that with a little bit of cynicism because I knew that the grosses we discussed last Monday, as bad as they were, they did include Bruce Springsteen, who was off that week, and three shows were beginning previews last week. So I thought certainly the grosses would go up even just a little because of all of these inherent advantages. Well, as I so often am, I was wrong. Despite all of those aforementioned inherent advantages, last week's Broadway grosses dipped over $700,000 to come in at $23,316,326 for a 2.71% decrease. Only three shows that had performed the previous frame saw week-to-week -week gains, and those were Frozen and Angels in America, both in previews, which added two and one preview performances respectively, and John Lithgow's story by heart, Stories by Heart, which ended its Broadway run on Sunday. So obviously some reasons for those to see numbers in the black. Now, there was, of course, a threat of a nor'easter and a bombogenesis cyclone tsunami of snow or whatever it's called. I don't think that really happened too, too much, did it, James? 
Oh, there was like tremendous rain here and some big snow uh, just north of the city. Okay, so clearly either the threat of that or the actual precipitation could have impacted people trying to come into the city to see shows. So uh, that is all kind of factored in. However, everything else that played the week before saw a number in the red. And again, as to be expected this time of year, the shows that dropped the most were the traditional tourist fare, starting with the largest decline, Wicked, then School of Rock, Phantom, SpongeBob, Anastasia, and Aladdin. Those shows all saw drops of over 200K. Even consistent powers like Dear Evan Hansen and Come From Away fell by more than six figures. Unsurprisingly, perhaps Hamilton had the smallest decline of just over $26,000. It still did well enough to pull in 3070115 though. More than $1,154,000 behind Hamilton was Springsteen on Broadway. Now, in full disclosure, they only did four shows compared to their traditional five, uh, but it came in at $1,915,878, followed by Lion King at 1.8, DEH at 1.62, and Wicked at 1.38. They were, of course, joined north of seven figures by Aladdin, Come From Away, and The Book of Mormon. Next up, Frozen, which only did five previews, which I didn't realize they were only doing that few last week. They pulled in a cool $983,535, and it is already over 99% of its gross potential. So if you extrapolate that gross total from a five-show uh, week to a traditional eight-show performance schedule, they would have brought in a total approaching $1,574,000. The Arendellians, is that how you say it? The Arendellians over at the uh, St. James have seven shows for the next three weeks and won't actually begin doing eight performance weeks until the week after they officially open on March 22nd. Now, our, our friends over at Circle in the Square much different situation. They had another tough week as once on this island dipped nearly $72,000 to come in at 419609 bucks for just 53% of its gross potential. And then, even worse, over at the Palace, SpongeBob dropped more than 292000 one of those 200K-plus totals I alluded to before, meaning that it only hit 39.1% of its gross potential. Now, I assume... And this is just an assumption. I think it's a little safer of an assumption for SpongeBob than once on this island. But I assume that at this point, both shows will remain open through the spring. And I hope, I hope, hope, hope that in just over a month and a half, a month and three weeks, um, that when the Tony nominations come out, that they will get a a boost from that. Because I'm sure they're going to get Tony nominations. And hopefully that'll help stabilize their box offices throughout the summer and hopefully into the fall. As I mentioned, John Lithgow saw a nice bump of $31,672 to finish his run at $493,000 last week. The three shows that began their Broadway runs were Kenneth Lonergan's Lobby Hero at the Hayes, which brought in $261,000 in its first six performances. Then there was Three Tall Women at the Golden, which did $283,000 in just four performances, and Carousel at the Imperial, which did over $702,000 in just five shows. Unfortunately, the play that goes wrong after having its best week in almost two months backslid to have its second worst eight-show week while on Broadway for just $249,414, or 36.8% of its gross potential. Now, James, as you and I know, our own Daniela Parcell is in New York right now as she is on spring break. 
So hopefully, as students and their families come to town for spring vacations, we start to see those receipts go up uh, a little bit at a time and kind of provide a runway into the exciting spring awards and then summer tourist season. Yeah, I, although students aren't well known for being flush with Broadway cash, you know. No, but I'm I'm more I'm more talking about like the the eight to sixteen year olds who are coming with their mm, families, yeah. who might have the disposable income. Yeah, it's uh, brutal what's happening over uh, at Circle in the Square. I I hope that they are able to get out the uh, word on the great cast recording from Broadway Records of of, uh, Once in this Island. It's so good. And I think that that, you know, if they were able to get that out there, I think that it'd sell some tickets for them. All right. uh, Next up, Papal... Paper Mill reveals its 2018-2019 season. How did we match up against those drawings? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I I have no inside information on this. I think something happened. I think their schedule changed. And here's why, James. When we originally talked about these kooky drawings that are impossible to guess, Paper Mill originally said that they would release their season at the end of February. Now, we're not far removed from the end of February, but we are into March. Apparently, Paper Mill's social media was hiding comments on their Facebook page over the weekend with people asking when the season would be announced. Maybe something changed. Maybe they weren't 100% sure what was going on. But yesterday, Mark S. Hobie, the producing artistic director of the Paper Mill Playhouse, did release the entire 2018-2019 season. We will run through it. We already know that the season will open on September 27th with that new Andrew Lloyd Webber fan fiction review called Unmasked. Then we have Irving Berlin's Holiday Inn that will run from November 21st through December 30th. James, I'm going to guess that this has to do with that picture that was in the uh, top right-hand section of their 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 clues, which was Santa inside a snow go- globe. So I would say that's Holiday in I N like in a snow globe. Then following up on the next show, the next show will be um, a, a, a show uh, the new Rick Ellis uh, show that features 1960s British music that has to do with. Um, kind of the British invasion. It's called My Very Own British Invasion that will run from January 31st through March 3rd. If you look on that guess sheet on the very bottom, they had this huge map with a bunch of different colored blue countries in it. Apparently, all of those countries are countries that the British Empire at one point controlled. I'll give them that one. I believe this is a new show, so no one really would have known. It is a world premiere, but Whatever. That show will be directed and choreographed by uh, Jerry Mitchell, by the way. Then in April, here's where it starts to get a little iffy with those examples, James. We have Benny in June. Now, we saw this show run last year over, I believe, at the Old Globe. It will be directed by Jack Cummings III, and um, it does feature a book by Kirsten Gunther, music by Nolan Gasser, and lyrics by Mindy Dickstein. The... um, the cast at the Old Globe featured our friend Bryce Pinkham, um, as well as Andrew Smarsky and Hannah Ellis. Uh, and uh, I don't know if they're going to be joining the show when it's a paper mill, but that got really good reviews. 
uh, out in California. So it could be something that ends up trying to find its way into New York somewhere or another. However, nothing on that list unless it has some sort of egg connection. No idea what that is. I, I've got nothing. So that might be something that I think was plugged in at the last minute. The final show of the season will be from May 29th through June 30th. It will be Disney's Beauty and the Beast. It'll be directed by Hobie and choreographed by Dennis Jones. I'm guessing this one, James, is there was something with two hands that had a smile and a frown and a bunch of colors. I thought maybe it could have been the comedy and tragedy masks for a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Maybe that's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Someone someone on one of the message boards on Broadway World said that there's a line in Beauty and the Beast about I need six eggs. So there's six golden eggs. Maybe that could be it. But that seems like a stretch. So I think there was some last minute finagling in this schedule because some of these don't really line up with those uh, pictures they gave us a month or so ago. Any chance that uh, they'll bring Susan Egan out to, uh, you know, know? I, you, I don't know if you're serious or not, but I I mean, heck, why not? Susan Egan is I, she does that the Broadway princess parties with Laura Osnes. She still sounds great. Um, I think there's no reason why she couldn't do it. Terrence Mann. Why not? I, I, I have no problem with this. I, I would be fine if Susan Egan did it over in California, came over for next season, did it at Paper Mill as well. All right. Uh, next up, NBC set to oh, air. Oh, boy. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Set to air, Andrew Lloyd Webber, <laughs> Tribute. Oh, the Sondheim fans are going to be very upset about this one. Uh, as we all know, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Stephen Sondheim celebrate a birthday together. They have the same birthday, and they've even had a little bit of fun with it. Uh, they had the whole... Uh, um, what are they a couple of years ago? They did a song together about it on a on a video. They didn't actually appear together, um, but they share a birthday. That birthday is March 22nd. It's coming up. And then less than a week later, NBC is going to air Andrew Lloyd Webber tribute to a superstar. This, of course, is really just going to be a commercial for Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert that will happen that following weekend. However, this Tribute will feature such stars as Glenn Close and John Legend, who will be playing Jesus and Jesus Christ Superstar Live. Lin-Manuel Miranda will also be on hand, as will the Young People's Chorus of New York City. Now, I have no idea what this is going to be, but it will air on Wednesday, March 28th at 10 p.m. Um, this is to honor his 70th birthday. I, I don't know if this is going to have performances, if it'll be a look back at his life, kind of pulling some of the information from his new memoir, Unmasked, which, of course, shares its name with one of the shows in Paper Mill season. We don't really know what that's all about, but I'm sure that it will be nothing compared to what our friend David Levy is doing with Sondheimus at uh, Joe's Pub earlier that week. Um, uh, and there's a lot of Sondheim tributes going on. And I have a feeling a lot of them are going to be up in arms that he is not getting the treatment uh, that Andrew Lloyd Webber will be getting by a major broadcast network. I think that uh, some might argue that uh, as many shows as we see on the PBS stations for Stephen Sondheim, <laughs> never to show a Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. <laughs> well, I, I think that probably has a lot to do with who produces those shows as well, yeah. though. Oh. Uh, you know, I did they? Well, yeah, maybe. I, I, uh, I, I. 
think I still have it. The VHS tape of the Donny Osmond, Sir Richard Attenborough, Jesus Christ mm. Superstar movie. Or not Jesus Christ Superstar, just Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat yeah. uh, movie. I think I still have it in a box somewhere. But, you know, again, difference between putting it on a VHS tape and selling it versus letting a commercially produced show be shown on PBS. Just uh, maybe a little bit of a different mindset is all I'm saying, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thank you for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWWMatt. And subscribe to Sound Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. James, you don't know this. I don't think yet. We haven't confirmed this. You won't be here tomorrow because you're going to see Hangman. I'm actually going to see a Wrinkle in Time uh, screening with our friend Caitlin Milligan. She's going to be joining me. But that means tomorrow's show will feature not only me, but Julie Musback will be Julie. here. We will get to the oh. bottom of her comments on the last show. The Julie squinting the eyes comment. Mm-hmm. I see. I can't wait to listen on Wednesday morning. So uh, my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Tuesday with us. Don't forget to come back tomorrow where the showdown between Julie and Matt happens. And uh, I'll be back on Thursday with Matt or Julie. We'll see who lives. (laughs) See who lives. I think I can take it.